Thanks for listening to the Sunday Teaching Podcast from Salt and Light, a community based in Fort Worth, Texas, making disciples of Jesus together by seeking his kingdom in everyday life. Find out more at saltandlightfw.com. So we are continuing our series on who is God. Up to this point, move to the next slide. We have covered how God revealed his personal name to Moses. This was in the burning bush incident and then ends up proclaiming his name, Yahweh, in the verses that we're focused on. So this is, we talked about Yah being the shortened version of Yahweh. You'll see this in the Psalms or other places in your Bible. And then it also gets combined with other words. I didn't mention this on the, on the first week, but you know, you have hallelujah, praise the Lord or praise God, praise Yahweh. Elijah, my God is Yah. Isaiah, salvation is Yah. We say salvation is the Lord's. And then Jeremiah, exalted by Yah. It's almost like the biblical authors are doing karate. Yah, yeah, right? Kai's really good at karate, so that comes to mind. So there's a lot of signals in the Bible that the personal name is being used. You see this in the bottom here, all capital letters, Lord. So anytime you see that, I'm just kind of training myself. Oh, this is different than just the author saying the Lord. This is him using, the author's using the personal name of God. And so they're signaling something really intentional when they use his name. And so to understand God's character, we've been zeroing in on three verses in Exodus, Exodus 34, five through seven. It's where the personal name gets proclaimed by God himself. And then those three verses get repeated over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament, the most repeated verses, the most repeated ideas. And so we talked also that first week about where did those verses show up? So you have the Israelites are delivered from Egypt miraculously by God. And then while Moses is up on top, on the top of Mount Sinai talking to God, we have the Israelites at the base of the mountain already breaking the first two commandments not to worship other gods, not to, not to make other idols when they make the golden calf. And so we said, what is God going to do? What is, who, is, who is this God? What is his character, right? Will he find another people to bless, to make a covenant with? Because they've already broken this covenant, right? Moses took the two tablets and he broke them. Is God going to abandon his plan to rescue the nations that he promised to Abraham? Or will he renew the covenant with the Israelites, which is what exactly we saw him do? And this is where he proclaims his name and combines it with the words that we've been studying this month. Next slide, Caden. So the verses show up right there. After the broken tablets, after the golden calf, Moses is pleading with God and, and, and God says this about his name. He says, he is Yahweh, Yahweh a compassionate and gracious God. And those words and the ones that follow that we've been repeating each week served as an anchor and a firm foundation for God's people to remember who is this God that has chosen us? Who is the God we're dealing with now that we've been rescued? And last week, Caden, next slide, we dug deeper into those first two words. God's compassion and his grace, which are critically important. You're going to see those show up again today as we dig into these next three. It's, it's again and again, almost interwoven. You can't talk about the three that we're covering today or four or five, whatever, how many words we're covering. 
without talking about his compassion and grace. It's an outpouring, an overflow of compassion and grace that result in the behaviors that we're talking about today. We said compassion, next slide, Caden, is based on the Hebrew word. It's the root word for womb. This is Emmanuel, who's going to be born any day now. <laughs> Ruth, who's living with us, has, has her due date is August 5th. So coming up really quick. But we talked about what that word means. It's like this nurturing. It's this intense caring, the growing up of a baby, the protection, just like a mother does for a newborn. And a baby is unable to take care of itself, right? It's completely dependent on another person to raise it. And we said, looked at this verse, that as a father has compassion on his children, this is, the, this is the way the Lord treats us. He has compassion on his faithful followers, like we're his children. Why? Because he knows what we're made of. He realizes that we are just clay, right? We looked at the passage around God in Genesis, taking the dirt and making the first man and breathing life into him. We are dependent on God to form us in the womb and to breathe his life into us. And that's, that is his compassion. It's like looking at a baby and you know how, what that baby's made of. Nothing that will take care of itself, right? Has to be cared for. It is dependent on parents to live. And then we looked at grace. Oh, back. So we looked at grace as an outpouring of undeserved favor. It says, we were talking about why were the Israelites chosen? Right? Was it because they were great? They were more numerous than the other nations? What was the reason? And God says this. It says, rather, it is because of his love for you, his faithfulness. It was not anything the Israelites did that made it. It was not their actions. It was not their greatness. It was not their uprightness. We talked about last week. It was just God choosing them. So grace we talked about didn't just show up when Jesus came. Jesus is the fulfillment of this same character of God. And so this week, next slide, we're going to see that the outpouring of compassion and grace, this overflow of these two characteristics, end up becoming these expressions of God as being slow to anger, abounding in loyal love and forgiveness. So we'll take each one at a time. So I have a 30-minute drive to work. I don't know. Next slide, Caden. This is, this is sometimes what I run into. Anybody else Get on your drive to work? Just me? So, you know, many times it's, I'm confused by construction, right? I'm confused with how long it takes. When you live in a growing city, construction is always happening, right? And on my drive, it could take a 30-minute drive and make it an hour right? And you're sitting there going, when is this going to be complete? Have you ever, this, this, I thought this picture was great. Have you ever driven by a construction zone and there's nobody even working there, right? Like how frustrating. <laughs> You've closed off two lanes. This is what you might picture is happening, right? Why, why is it taking so long? Why do these projects go so slow? Well, this is one person's view of why it's going slow. This found this, I don't know what this guy's doing, but looks awfully fun. I don't know building great cone statues. Amazing. At least it's not a golden calf, right? Next slide, Caden. 
This is, I thought this one was the best. You got the excavator playing tic-tac-toe. There's got to be another excavator off to the side. We'll see. So this is, you know, this, this is not why construction is, takes so long, right? We know that. There's something serious happening when construction projects take a long time. And you may be tempted to think this is what construction workers are doing, but that's not it. And we know that. And then in the same way, we, we read that God is slow. God is operating slowly. So you might be tempted to think and look around. The world is falling deeper and deeper into sin, right? There's injustice everywhere. And you, you may be falling deeper and deeper into sin, right? And so where is God's anger? When is he going to act, right? When is he going to bring about judgment? And is God just goofing around or sleeping? on the job when he should be at work in the world, right? But what is the real reason that God allows his people to go off course? So they're doing things that are going against their design, how God intended. Or why is it taking so long and going so slow for God's promises to come about? Like when will Jesus return and justice will be finally come for those that are being oppressed, right? We hear about these promises of the new heavens and new earth, where all these sufferings, all the things that cause anger are going to go away, right? There's no more tears. There's no more suffering. Okay, next slide. So what is taking so long? So the Bible tells us that God is slow on purpose, right? So there is a real reason that God is slow to anger. He's giving many chances for people to return to him when they are completely unfaithful and he gives many chances before bringing judgment. So what we have, and we saw this right before these verses showed up, God rescued the Israelites from Egypt and gave multiple chances for Pharaoh to release the Israelites and to go worship him and serve him. And so this is what we saw God offering this slow anger and slow judgment for Pharaoh. And then we see the answer here. Why is God so slow? In Second in Peter, he says, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. That's what scoffers do. They scoff, right? So they're going to follow their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? When is Jesus going to come back? When is judgment going to finally come? And in verse 9, it says, the Lord is not slow. This is Peter's response to the people says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you on your account, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. He finishes up. So God is not slow in the sense that he's taking his time, that he's just being casual about things that cause him anger, right? He's not goofing around playing tic-tac-toe on some heavenly excavator. Right, Kai? Okay. <laughs> so he is compassionate and gracious. He's in the overflow of that compassion and grace that he has for his people is his patience. It's his slowness to act. He knows who he's dealing with and he operates slowly, but not casually. So why? So he doesn't want anyone to perish, but for all to come into the family 
through repentance to experience those promises. And we want promises now. We want God's promises now, right? We look around and we say, Jesus, come back quickly. We see the depravity in the world. We see injustice for people that need justice. And God does too, right? He's not ignoring it. And so God, out of his, he, he, well, <laughs> so thank God, right? That he is more compassionate and gracious than we even are, right? I would have I <laughs> come back already, but we see that he's offering that compassion and grace even to those people that don't deserve it, that today he is holding back judgment, waiting for more to come into his family. He says he loves the whole world and does not want any to perish. And this is the real reason why he's slow to anger. So that's the first one. It's out of his compassion and grace that he is slow to anger. Next, Caden, we're going we're gonna to do the abounding that God has of loyal love and faithfulness. So I want to do this. I know we've done some call response type reading, but I want us to read Psalm 136 because this is just a meditation. It almost lasts too long. <laughs> if you read through it, the repetition of his steadfast love, that loyal love enduring forever just keeps going and going and going. So if y'all could do this, I don't want it to go too slow though. So for his steadfast love endures forever. Let's keep that repetition going. So give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Go for oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who by understanding made the heavens. To him who, oh, here we go. Okay. To him who made the great lights, <laughs> the sun to rule over the day, the moon and stars to rule over the night, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it. Just keeps going. So I stopped early, <laughs> knowing y'all didn't want to keep doing that. But that's the declaration. It's his loyal love over and over and over again that uh, is being praised here because it's so important. So the psalmist connects God's loyal love and his faithfulness to his great wonders, creating the world, putting in place the, the, the great lights. He's showing that he's delivered them from, from Egypt. And then the remaining verses that we didn't read tell how God kept his promise. He journeyed with the Israelites through the wilderness and brought the Israelites to the promised land just as he promised and established them there and continued to show his steadfast love, loyal love, to Abraham's descendants, despite the fact that they grumbled in the wilderness, they, they were rebellious, and he still stayed committed to the Israelites through this journey. And we are like the Israelites now, 
right? It feels like we're wandering through the wilderness. And that's how I feel sometimes. <laughs> you know, we're being led by God and his spirit as we journey through this life, waiting for the promised land. When are we going to get there? And where are those new heavens and new earth that have been promised to us? How do we know that God has not forgotten his promise? Right? So just like we read around what Peter described the scoffer, scoffing. Where is Jesus' coming again that was promised? When is this going to happen? And we find that it is his loyal love and forgiveness, uh, sorry, loyal love and faithfulness, the same that brought the Israelites and journeyed with them to the promised land. We have God journeying with us, I mean, in us, leading us to that promised land, the, the spiritual promised land, just like the Israelites arrived at the earthly one. So we can put our hope in God. I mean, he did this. We can read about it. The scriptures testify about it. And so we can have faith that God, again, will do this. He is loyal and he is faithful. And so finally, I want to land on forgiveness. Oh, great. These are little Bible Project pictures, if you watch Bible Project. So it is the most critical, right? Perhaps the most that you feel as we, we are just sinful people by nature, right? Undeserving of God's love, his faithfulness, undeserving of God to be slow to anger. And yet we receive this unimaginable grace as God puts on display forgiveness. And so in the Garden of Eden, the first humans, I mean, they were walking with God. They were there. God's presence filled the garden and were with them. And then when Adam and Eve rebelled, they were removed from the garden, removed from God's presence outside of the gates. And it's here in our verses in the Exodus story that Moses is pleading with God, don't make us go through the wilderness alone. Be with us, dwell among us. Moses is asking for God to put his presence in the midst of really broken people the same people that just worship the golden calf. And God, amazingly, out of his compassion and grace, agrees to do it. So he provides instructions for a tent. Next slide. The tabernacle was going to be placed right in the middle of the people, filled with garden imagery, as the people are going to meet with God back in the garden, inside of this tent. And then Moses tries to enter it and then can't go in. Right? And this is after, at the end of the book of Exodus, the tabernacle gets made and God's presence fills the tent. And so Moses is left not able to enter God's presence. And of course, like, how can God allow his presence in the midst of sinful people? He's got to do something with the sin. And like we saw last week, he knows that it's not just sinful people that have sinned. It's people he knows and says to Moses will repeatedly sin again and be unfaithful to him. So God provides the Israelites very clear ways to have their transgressions and sins removed and become pure through the acts of sacrifice and cleansing so that they can know with confidence that they're forgiven, right? So, their sins have been passed over. 
And despite their corruption, they're safe. They can live near God's presence and they can enter in to God's presence in the tent. In the book of Micah, next slide, it puts it this way, celebrating the fact that God, God's presence is there. So who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever. We'll touch on this more next week. Because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Next slide. You, God, will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you've sworn to our fathers from the days of old. So I love this passage because you can see all these expressions we're talking about. It's not just a passage on loyal love. It's not just a passion on forgiveness. It's all of these things that make up God's character. And it says, who is a God like you? There's no other God that the prophets say is like this God. And he exhibits all of these things. And for some reason, he chooses to forgive broken people. He chooses to forgive us. It's an overflow of who God is. It's almost like he can't help it but to forgive us. It's his nature to be slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and offering forgiveness so that we can be near him, which is pretty incredible. And just as the Israelites were given instructions for dealing with their sins so that they could enter God's presence, you know, now God made a way for us, right, to have access to God's forgiveness. It's not through ongoing sacrifices and purification rituals as those have already been fulfilled in Jesus, right? His ultimate sacrifice allows us to have access to God's presence, but not just to be near God's presence, right? To be filled with God's presence. It's not in a tent or a temple. It's anytime, anywhere, anywhere you are, that God is with us. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians, in the next slide. He says, In him we have redemption through his blood, in Jesus, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to do what he promised, uniting all things. Oh, next slide. Uniting all things on heaven and earth. So it's in Jesus's sacrifice that we have forgiveness, right? It's putting on display this overwhelming richness of God's grace. You can't have forgiveness without grace. <laughs> because, he, because we deserved it? No, right? We covered this. It was purely his love and his graciousness for his purposes, not ours. Next slide. So this is my reflection, right? Studying these verses the last couple of weeks. What was, what was, what, what do I do with this, right? Like, as I thought about, okay, what are, what are the five best tips for being slow to ang to get angry, right? What's the three top ways 
to be forgiving, right? And I just realized that's not it. Like, do you want to be slower to anger? Do you want to forgive those who sin against you? Do you want to be loyal and steadfast in your own love? Do you want to be faithful, right? The first thing to realize is we can't be perfect. We cannot do those things. The Israelites repeatedly fell back into unfaithfulness. Even the letters in the New Testament call out to the churches and say, there are people among you that are being unfaithful, right? Call them back. And so we can't be perfect at these things. Jesus was, and we are in him. We're forgiven, right? So when we fail, and that's Ashley's story last week, as she shared about Caleb, and that that's the only thing that has substance is our own forgiveness. And it's based on, like we read in Ephesians, God's grace. It is his compassion and grace. And that these things, you want to be slower to anger, do you want to forgive? Do you want to be more loyal and faithful? The second thing, after you realize you can't do it, is to know that these are just an outflow of God's nature and his character, right? Start there. Don't manufacture patience. Don't try to be more loving. Don't manufacture it and force it, right? Be compassionate and gracious. Allow the spirit to work through you. On compassionate, you've heard the saying, hurt people hurt people, right? You look past the actions of people, how they respond to you. I have to look past my own children and sometimes their reactions whenever, you know, I have to real, remember, oh, this child's only been here less than a thousand days, <laughs> you know, compared to my lifetime. And, and now I'm getting upset. I'm letting this, this little one get, make me upset. He hasn't even been on the earth hardly at all, right? But hurt people hurt people. How do you recognize the condition of somebody? It's like God realizing that we are just dust and we need to see that in each other. We need to see we're just little babies <laughs> getting shepherded along and the spirit in us is, is thankfully making us more and more sanctified, looking more and more like Jesus, but it's his spirit that is compassionate and gracious that is helping to propel us to be also compassionate. And it means something, right? When people have gone through their life and they have never had somebody be compassionate to them, it stands out. It's like Jesus coming and being compassionate to the person with leprosy, to the cast out, to the stranger, to the tax collectors. All of their people are, are, have forgotten them. And here Jesus is looking past their actions and behaviors and their skin conditions and everything else to have compassion on them, knowing that they are frail. And then on grace, it's this undeserved favor, right? When we were still sinners and we sought to worship everything except for God, the God of the universe, God sent his son. We were his enemies. And we, we as the Israelites, did not deserve that kind of grace. We, as the nations, right? None of us are Jewish, I don't think, from the family of Abraham. I don't know, maybe. But if you're like me, I don't get invited in unless Jesus is the one that I'm invited in through. If you're reading through Galatians with us, that's the only thing that matters. And so we do not deserve God's favor and he gave it to us. 
So grace, how do we do this? How do we start to show favor to those that don't deserve it? And that's challenging. That is only God in us that says, this person does not deserve my favor or attention or grace. And yet I'm going to offer it to them because that's what was offered to me. And that's difficult. But I guarantee you, instead of manufacturing, being slow to anger or trying to forgive because you know it's the right thing to do, if you start with compassion and grace, those things will be an outflow of it. Those things will come about. Lean into these things, compassion and grace. Rest in it, knowing what Jesus did for us to invite us into that compassion and grace so so that we can become more slow to anger, more like our God. Okay. Next week's the final week. Um, thank you all for letting me teach a little bit of what I'm learning. And uh, But now we want to do communion. Just remember, right? The same things we've been talking about. So if you haven't been here in a couple of weeks, we put the communion tables on the outside and the back. And so, and we're going to have the Aguilars come up and just play a little bit as we do just some reflection, because that's the most important thing. Live in the freedom to just rest, knowing that that Jesus was perfect, that Jesus, Jesus is the one who is compassionate and gracious, the full representation, and he gave himself for us. That's what I've been reflecting on. So if you bow your heads with me, I'm just going to pray. And then as you feel led, get up and take communion and enjoy that this is, this is a representation of our Savior and what he's done for us. God, I thank you for just your compassion and your grace on me, Lord. I just see the way I respond, I said, to my children, to situations in life, to construction, God, to just, Lord, and you have uh, richly, lavishly poured out your grace on us. You have shown us your compassion, God, and we just rest in that. We thank you for that. God, I thank you that you are a God that's not changing. You are not fickle. And that you are the same God that, that made us, made us in the beginning. So you know how we were formed. You know we're just dirt. And that we rely on you, God, for your very breath of life. And we continue to. And God, so we celebrate as we take the bread and the wine, Lord, your sustenance, your provision um, that you would do for us what we did not deserve and you would do for us what we as babies and children God could not do for ourselves in coming yourself as as your son and so God we thank you we love you and it's in your son Jesus' name we pray amen thanks for listening to the Sunday teaching podcast from Salt and Light a community based in Fort Worth Texas making disciples of Jesus together by seeking his kingdom in everyday life Find out more at saltandlightfw.com.